I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Leanne Spencer, the host of the Remove the Guesswork podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is a slightly different episode from normal. In this episode, I interview a very old friend of mine, Dawn Comely, or the Sober Fisher, she's called, and I have known each other for something like 25 years. And in that time, we have had lots of nights out. We've had lots of alcohol go pass under the bridge, lots of nonsense being talked, lots of fun as well. I will say all of that. But in the last few years, or seven and a half in my case, and coming up three years in the case of Dawn, we've both become teetotal. So in this episode, we share our our individual stories, or some of our stories anyway, on what led us to give up alcohol. And we talk about what it's like to be abstinent and the challenges that that poses and how we've both sustained that abstinence, you know, in a way that doesn't involve a lot of energy. But we've also been talking about what it's like to be sober curious, more ways of mindful drinking, or just generally what it takes to start opening up your awareness to your relationship with alcohol and examining how healthy that relationship is. And some of the things that you can do to make it healthier that don't necessarily involve abstinence. And it's my opinion that based on a lot of my professional interactions and also personal interactions and awareness in the media, that more and more people are becoming concerned about their relationship with alcohol and how much they're drinking and where it leaves them, you know, losing things, texting things you wish you hadn't, putting on weight, being unhappy with yourself, the impact it can have on mental health and self-esteem and sleep and all this kind of stuff. So we cover off lots of that. And we recorded this live in front of a Facebook audience. So if you go onto the Body Shots Performance Limited page on Facebook, you can also watch the video to this, which we will upload onto our YouTube channel as well. And if we get that done in time, we'll link it in the show notes. But otherwise, we also recorded this as a podcast. So enjoy listening to this. We put quite a lot into this. We share quite openly about our own experiences. So I hope it's useful to you. This is a really important one to share if you know anyone that, that wants to just start addressing their relationship with alcohol as well. So please do that if you think it could help someone else. So that's it from me. Enjoy this episode with the sober fish, Dawn Comely. Sober fish. Hello. I'm not calling you Dawn. In fact, this is the first thing we've done where I can actually call you fish throughout. Yes. Which for the benefit of anyone listening and watching and welcome, by the way, to the Facebook live audience. It's uh, good to have, I don't know how many of you joining. Normally, well, anything like this, I have to call you Dawn normally, because your nickname, of course, no in the last 20-odd years anymore. is Fish. So <laughs> anyway, welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. Hello. Thank Hello. you. So you're going to be coming up for your third year soberversary. Yep. I have, say, so celebrated. It was a very low-key celebration. We did my seventh year in April. And who'd have thought that, hey? I know. After all the hedonism and the Ten high times. Ten years combined between us. That's pretty incredible, yep. really. So what does it feel like then to be almost three years sober? Amazing. Best decision that I ever made. I mean, everybody that follows the blog knows how much my life has changed. I mean, I could never have 
anticipated how much it changed mm. in all that time. I mean, you know, my health, my weight, my entire life is just so much better without alcohol in it. Mm. I mean, you feel the same. Mm, absolutely, um, yeah. I guess one of the things that people don't really appreciate when you're still in the drinking mode, you know, if somebody had tried to sell this to me, I wouldn't have been interested. Certainly wouldn't have believed how good it could be, life without alcohol, definitely. Mm. And what are the highlights of it? As you feel <clears> now, <throat> nearly three years on. Freedom, freedom from just thinking about it. Yesterday I did a video for my group and I was just saying my time in London, you know, we're in London at the moment, your house, and before it would have been so alcohol fueled. you know, it would have been from the minute I got here, I would have been drinking, would have been drinking Saturday night, would have been hungover today, would have then gone to the pub probably this afternoon. And it's just great to have that freedom from where's the next drink coming from? Mm. What are we going to drink? Who's going to the shop? How many bottles have we got? You know, all of that. And then the carnage afterwards, the blackouts, the, you know, what happened last night, not remembering. Yeah, just all of that chaos, really. Just You say freedom, but for me, I think it's also your world really opens up, doesn't it? Not just metaphorically, but it does metaphorically, but literally as well. I mean, yeah. you went off to quite a seminal moment for you, I think, was going off to Thailand. Yeah. So tell us about that. So we talked about it briefly, didn't we, yesterday? Mm. I always thought I'd go to Thailand with someone. So in the back of my mind, it was kind of waiting for the one to come along or go away for a couple of weeks and explore Thailand. And I think it was around six months because at the beginning, when I started my sober journey, I was rewarding myself every month. So I bought a ring and I bought a necklace and just stuff like that to keep, keep me going to the next month. My six month present to myself was a ticket to Thailand. I just thought, sod it, I'm going to go on my own. And I was telling Leanne yesterday that on the plane, I was really excited and, you know, got on the plane and then suddenly you're shut off from social media world, which had become, you know, pretty 24 hours, 24 seven for me. I was up in this plane, I'd fallen asleep and then I woke up and I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? I am on a plane going to a country I've never been to before, really far away. They don't speak well, of course they speak English, but they speak another language. What the hell am I doing? But once I got there, it totally and utterly changed my life because I suddenly, this realisation hit me in the face that actually I was the one that I could do this stuff by myself that I didn't need anybody else to do it with. Mm. And I think when I was drinking, drinking A was my crutch and B, I thought I needed somebody else to prop me up. And suddenly I was like this sober independent person and I did it myself and it's kind of opened up a lot of things for me because I suddenly realized that I didn't really need anybody else that all this time that I'd been thinking someone else was going to come along mm. I didn't need them mm. and I do think that has come from sobriety because I was so emotionally wrecked when I was drinking I was looking for someone to save me and no one was coming the only person that's going to save you is yourself and the sooner you realize that that's what opens up these possibilities. Mm. And what strength did you get from sobriety? I mean, did it surprise you you were able to do it? Massively, yeah. I mean, I'd done dry January most so tell, years, tell us hadn't how I? it began, actually. I mean, I guess, you know, I'd always done dry January because Christmas was always just an absolute mess. And 
things were just, I think we touched on it when we spoke before, things were just getting, hangovers were getting worse, lasting for longer. I'd started not lying as such, but bending the truth about what I was up to at the weekend. Because I knew, so for example, if someone asked me out Friday night and someone asked me out Saturday night, I knew Saturday night wasn't a possibility because I knew I'd be so hungover from Friday. So I'd kind of say, oh, I'm busy doing this. I'm busy doing that. And I wasn't. I was just being sick at home. And the sickness was becoming a real problem. I was sick most weekends, which meant that when I'd stopped being sick, I was then eating takeaways because I didn't have feed in the house because I hadn't Mm. bothered to go shopping. So therefore, you know, God knows what it was doing to my stomach because you're being sick and then you're eating rubbish to combat that. And in the back of your mind going, well, I've been sick all day. So therefore the calories that I eat in the food, I need that. But, you know, it's just hammering your body. Mm. So that was all becoming a problem. You know, I'd go out for one drink. I wouldn't get home till five in the morning, beating yourself up, going, oh, God, I've done it again. Why have I done this to myself again? Right, that's it. And then doing it again. You know, all of that is mental torture. And I was just going mental with it. It was just doing me in. So I randomly saw it came up on my news feed. It was an article by Board Panda, which was before and after photos of people. And they just looked amazing. And I was just like, hmm. And it came up randomly. I hadn't been Googling or looking at sobriety. I have no idea why that article came into my news feed. It just sparked something. And I was just like, right, that's it. I need to give myself a year. And that's one of the things that I do say to people is giving yourself that opportunity. A year is a bloody long time, but it's mm-hmm. also long enough to sort you out. You know, if you have committed to that year, I guarantee that by six months you will change the way that you feel about alcohol, sobriety, your life, your health, just everything. Six months for me is a really, really valuable time. And it's hard. The first six months isn't easy. But once you've got to that point, your mindset is entirely different to day one. Mm. So I think it could be a long time for people to get their heads around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even the thought of doing a week. But I find a week actually a really significant chunk of time. I mean, I've had two attempts at sobriety, three months, seven and a half months, and then the final one, which is April the 1st, 2012, which is the lasting one. But I found just a week quite tough because you've got to get through a sunny Sunday. <laughs> oh, the sun's out. We need to get ratted. You've got to get through the well done. You've got through Monday, through yeah. the days and their different connotations. Thursday's yeah. the new Friday. Then you've got to get through Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. And when you've done that once, that can be quite empowering. Yeah, definitely. Um, because you've got through every day of the week with its ridiculous associations that it might have, yeah. you know, the weather and a success at work or even a bad day. Or OK, so you started off. So you did a year. Yeah. What happened throughout that year? I mean, how quickly did you did you have that pink cloud that people often get in the first month? Of I up think early I'm and... still on my pink cloud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still riding away. I mean, yeah, with the pink cloud thing, it's what you make it. I think people expect this pink cloud for reference. The pink cloud is like a euphoria, a sober euphoria yeah. that people talk about. And some people don't get it. And some people yeah. are off their rocker with it. But why I'm off my rocker with it is because of how I've changed my life. And I get a lot of satisfaction out of exercise. I didn't like exercise very much, did I, Leanne? You didn't, no. We, uh, can I say about what I'm going to say? So we did joke that you should write an autobiography and it could be The Life and Times of Dawn Comely, subtitle, sat on a chair. 
That was the book we always said you should write. And I mean, I didn't do anything, did I? You did nothing. And we went on a few holidays together, which were very drunken. And you skied uphill and then went for a rest. Oh, my God, the skiing was horrendous. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of the yellow train. And the walk, there was a walk that went up a hill and I moaned all the way up it and I moaned all the way down it. And I said, I'm never, ever walking up a hill like that again. And now I'm like walking them every day. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't do anything, anything exercise wise. And I get a high from exercise, which you've always exercised and you've always got that high from Mm. that. So for me, my pink cloud is every day when I do my exercise, Mm. I do get that high and I think when people say, I'm not getting happy from being sober, you've got to make your happy. It's not that you put the drink down and your life is going to be amazing. It's how you make your life. And I put a lot of effort into making my life amazing. And I make sure that it is the best that it can possibly be. But I'm very lucky with the opportunities that I've had as well. Mm. On that note, putting the drink down is often just the start of the work rather than... Yeah, I I did think that by giving up alcohol... I thought life was going to be really boring because sobriety is sold as being grey, dull, monotonous, can be a bit monotonous sometimes, but that's just real life. And that's partly what my aim is, is to explain that sobriety doesn't have to be what society is telling us it is. Mm. You know, the word sober, sombre, you know, it's like, well, yes, but it doesn't have to be like, it will be. If you think, oh, sobriety is boring, sobriety will be boring. If you think sobriety can be amazing. Sobriety can be amazing. It's all about the mindset. It's not about what you've got in your glass. It's about how you deal with your life and how you change things for the better. Mm. Let's come back to that because that's obviously a really important thing that we want to talk about. But at what point in your year did you think, I'm going to extend this? Six months. Right. The original intention was to get absolutely rat-assed a year later, 365 days later, Because I knew I was doing the blog, I was going to take before photos, which didn't happen in the way that I wanted it to, only because my sobriety date should have been the 1st of January 2017, but it ended up being the 27th of November 16 because I got ill. So that's why I find it difficult to talk about day one and the first week because Mm. I was ill, which I see as an absolute blessing because I didn't really have to go through all of that. Because mm. I was so ill, the last thing I wanted was a drink or a cigarette. So I had a two-week head start, and then I started feeling better. And then my choice was, right, you've got Christmas coming up, and you're not starting this until the 1st of January. So you could actually go back to the Marlboro Lights and the Sauvignon for a couple of weeks, enjoy yourself, get Christmas out of the way, and start on the 1st of January. But then I was like, well, there's just no point. I don't really want to drink, and I don't really want a cigarette. And my main incentive for doing it was, right, if I start in November, I can have next Christmas getting pissed. That's how I started. And that's why I say the mindset changes is because over the first six months, by the time I got to six months, I was literally like, I don't want that stuff anywhere near my body ever again. My attitude towards it completely changed. I see it as a poison. Sorry to those who don't agree, but I see it as a drug a poison and Mm. I think it damages people and their lives and there was absolutely no reason for me to go back. Mm. Just to set the scene as well, which we perhaps should have done at the outset, how would you describe your drinking? What Uh, type of drinker were you? Absolute binge drinker. I wasn't physically addicted to alcohol so I didn't suffer from withdrawals and stuff like that but I was the kind of person, I cannot have one 
and I we laugh with my followers as well. I can't have one of anything. I can't have one. This week has been all about the magnums. I've had to give them up for the second time. I can't have one. And I totally believe you have one glass of wine. It changes the chemistry of your brain. I'm very much like it with diets and all sorts. Once you've had one, ah, oh, we're right off today. Mm. Start tomorrow. And then you give yourself permission after one. Just go for it. So, Oscar Wilde said the first glass is the most dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I yeah. Do, do believe that. Well, my drinking was quite different. I mean, we started with the same veracity and, and volumes. But for me, by the end, as you know, I was drinking anything between a bottle and a half or three bottles of wine a day in a sales role in the city that meant that drinking at lunchtime wasn't totally taboo. But I would sometimes, if I was very sort of shaky and anxious, have a glass of wine before shower in the morning that would invariably come back up I would have another one that would stay down this isn't every day of the week but and that would take the edge off the anxiety and nerves and then I'd have maybe a miniature in the toilets mid-morning and then go out to lunch I didn't know all this Leanne did you not no and by the by the end it was really starting to spiral out of control that it was just about to get rumbled at work but I was in the washing machine of basically you're, you're fucked you know in the washing machine that is physical addiction you'll drink to get rid of the shakes and the anxiety but you know while you're doing that, it will in the short term solve the shaking problem so that you can go and take notes in a meeting without it looking like calligraphy. But you know that you're just topping your system up and at some point when you go to bed, it'll withdraw again and you're just in that washing machine where you're, you're fucked by you get, the time you get to that point. So we kind of got to different places with it. But I think it's probably quite a useful thing to let people watching yeah. listening know that the type of drinker you particularly yeah. were because... I always say, I know you don't quite agree, that where I got to with alcohol, as an alcoholic, I went to rehab for six weeks to get dry and get sober, is perhaps less relatable to your average drinker than your experience. I think more people can think, well, actually, that binge drinking, that wanting to numb feelings, fed up of how I felt about myself, weight issues, all that kind of stuff, is perhaps more relatable than the drinking in the morning ending up in a rehab but there'll no doubt be people watching listening who know of or, or are feeling like one or other of us so I, I think what came out from me starting the blog is you know I've never claimed as I've said to be an alcoholic and addicted to alcohol and I didn't think there was I knew I had a problem but I didn't think so many other people had the same problem as me mm. because the stereotypical definition of an alcoholic is more of what you're describing so people think that because they're not shaking in the morning or because they're not having a miniature Mm. to get through work, that they don't have a problem. There's this scale that people have in their heads of where they think they're at on a scale of alcoholism. Well, I think that scale scale is a dangerous thing. Yes. I mean, I can tell you I was in rehab with people who were worse than me. Does it mean I'm less of an alcoholic or I have less of an issue? The whole thing with problem drinking, I think, if you have one drink but you don't know where the evening's going after that... That's a problem. Yeah. If you have one drink or half a drink or a sniff of a drink, but you might misplace your phone, call someone something you wish you hadn't called them, text someone you really ought not to be texting or wish you hadn't texted, that's a problem. Tripping yeah. up on the curb after two drinks is as much of a problem as... I, I always say, if it's a question in your head, am I drinking too much or is my drinking a problem? Your drinking is a problem. It's a problem, yeah. You know, when we were tripping over, when we were tw- in our 20s... Neither of us thought we had a problem. We just were doing what we thought other people did. Well, actually, I nod to that, but I found a notebook of poems and thoughts and things I had when I was at university. I suppose a diary of sorts. And in it, I write, so this would have been 95 or 96. I gave up in 2012. So 17 years elapsed. I wrote in that diary, I must get on top of my drinking. Really? Yep. So I knew at university, 
But it was it was an issue. Oh, and then you met us lot. Well, I already knew you lot. Oh, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> I met you before oh, yeah. uni. But, you know, that's another thing as well. It's easy to look and think, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Yeah. So there's, I listened to a really great episode on a podcast called Don't Tell Me the Score with Simon Monday, and it was with Tony Adams, the famous Arsenal footballer who now runs the Sporting Chance um, rehab clinics. And he said there were three things. There's minimalisation. So minimalising is, yeah, but I'm not as bad as you were. Denial. And justifying, but I only, I never drink spirits is a classic one, is it? But I've never drunk in the morning. If you find yourself doing any of those things, minimizing your situation or normalizing it, yeah, but everyone drinks. Everyone down the pub as much as me. Yeah, there's always different ways that you can try and get out of it. But another thing I like is if you think about alcohol as a person, what is that relationship like? Mm. That person kept getting you into that much trouble. (laughs) Would you be seeing them once a week or twice a week? Well, so it's a, a relationship. and breaking up from it is is a relationship in itself. Or constantly saying, I need to manage that relationship. Yeah. You know? Or thinking all the time about that relationship, becoming yeah. obsessed about it. Yeah. Because you could have an on-the-surface quite healthy relationship with drink in terms of units or volume of alcohol. But if it's something you're constantly having to put energy in to manage... Yeah. You know, well, that's the other that's the other thing about moderation. I mean, my view of moderation is, you know, as I said, I can't moderate anything. But... Turns out you can what can I moderate? <laughs> you do all right with sobriety. <clears throat> well, I don't know. Yeah, you see, I, I think that's all an all or nothing. I think I am all or nothing. I cannot have alcohol in my life and therefore I find it easy. That's what I was going to say about the moderation side of it. I tried moderation. I tried curfewing myself. This was probably about a year, two years before I actually stopped drinking. I used to curfew myself, right, you can go out, but you have to go home at midnight. Oh, my God, it was so hard, Mm. really hard, because at midnight when the party was going, I was saying, right, okay, I'm going home now. And then I'd get home and I'd go, I'll have a glass of wine because I've done my curfew, so therefore I'll reward myself with having a glass of wine. So that didn't work. You know, I did the, I'm only going to drink white wine. Oh, I mean, that's been years, hasn't it? I I don't Mm -hmm. even drink the white wine. Oh, then that made me sick. I'll only drink the red wine. Oh, that's made me sick. I'll only drink the spirits. I'll only drink the dark spirits. I'll only drink the light spirits. You know, I'll drink a glass of water in between each drink. You know, all of that is just exhausting. Mm. You know, because when you've had eight drinks, can you remember when you had the last glass of water? Well, I couldn't. You don't give two after eight drinks. You can't give a shit about the water. (laughs) And... It's exhausting. And that's the other thing that I find, you know, I admire anybody that says I am going to moderate my alcohol. If you could moderate, you'd already be moderating. That's my phrase. If you're questioning, then there is an issue. And I think what I've learned through the blog the most is that there's a bloody massive amount of people who all drink very similarly to the way that I drank, as well as people who drank the way that you drank. There's two, it's not two groups. We all overlap, but there is, in my opinion, either the physically addicted to alcohol or the non-physically addicted, but it's a very bad habit. Yeah. And there's some obvious differences when you're physically addicted. You need to be very careful about stopping for one. It is very possible to, or rather, abrupt cessation of, of alcohol, depending on how much and how long can be fatal. So it's really important to put that out there. Never stop abruptly if you're drinking a lot. But <clears throat> otherwise, I think it's quite important to break down some of the barriers between levels of drinking. And there is quite a lot of work being done now in the scientific community to re-question what, what it is, you know, the definition of an alcoholic. David Nutt's done really, Professor David Nutt's done good work on this. And to try and redefine what problem drinking is all about, because... Most, a lot of people, the Adrian Charles documentary that was on, what, a yeah. year, 18 months ago? Drinkers Like Me. Yeah. was really good. Mm-hmm. I know a number of my clients, their kind of ears really, they really resonated with that. 
because he was a guy drinking 90 odd units a week that would never have described himself as having a problem no. with alcohol. 90 units a week. And all of that was sort of backloaded into Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and the day. And a lot of people I know are like, hmm, that didn't really get me thinking because I've never. And he said he'd never have used words like alcoholic or problem drinking or anything. But to yeah. be honest, I wouldn't be able to tell you still now how many units are in a large glass of wine because you don't look at it and think of it in units. No, and that's no. what, that was the shock to him, that if you actually start, I, I mean, we wouldn't have been able to, you know, our 20s. 30s, we wouldn't be counting the number of units because we lost count by midnight. You'd have to be a very skilled mathematician. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no way that we would have been able to count. And all you know is that you're drinking way too much. I mean, it was 14 units, wasn't it, for... A week for women, for, a 21 for, women for and 21 for men. For men I think which I think changed. that's changed as well. Yeah. I think it's the same for both. Yeah. But 14 units, I think me and you would polish off in the preloading on a Friday sitting, night. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing, really... And then you've got to start thinking, well, these these units came from somewhere. So it's dangerous for you. It's mm. dangerous to be drinking that much. I mean, we I was saying to some people the other day, you know, I'm surprised that I didn't have more. I, mean, I know that sickness was my thing, but I'm surprised there weren't more long term effects with the amount that we were drinking at some mm. point. Oh, it's remarkable how resilient the human body it is. It really but... is. So you did a year, you decided to carry on. At that point, were you deciding to carry on for another six months no, or another forever. year? So after a year, you were like, well, I'm after done. After six months, I decided I was done. I had a conversation with somebody this afternoon who may be watching either live or on catch-up, but do you at any point, or have you at any point, had sort of wobbles? Has the old, I could probably go back and just have one now because I'm no. on top of this. Have you ever had, have you had any sort of vulnerability? No. Any euphoric recall? Nothing? No. <laughs> I have in, the first, goes, in the first but... six months, it's FOMO, it's fear of missing out. Yeah. So I really struggled socialising. We were all party animals. Our friendship group was party animals. Everybody that I know is a party. You know, I can't. But that's another thing, isn't it? You, you create an environment yeah. that normalises and minimises your behaviour. And also, without being rude to anybody in particular, but there is always someone in the group that's worse than you. It's mm. that scale again. So you're not as bad as them. So therefore, you're okay. But it's quite funny, or is it funny, when you become sober because you take yourself out of that situation. Someone else has to step up into that role. And it kind of makes you question your role in that friendship group after you well, step you out of it. Well, you were probably, and I, were probably for a lot of people, that person that you weren't we were. bad at. And that's why it's often people are not that comfortable with you making the dislike. Well, what, you're not going to have anything ever? Well, yeah. I mean, well, that's the reaction that I had, you know, was... You know, people didn't laugh about it, but I think they were just like, that's never going to happen. Mm. You know, whereas with you, you had to go to a facility. It was going to happen. I... Well, the the relapse rates for rehab are extraordinarily high, like 80, 80 percent. But I, I guess mean, that's most a, people... our similarities, though, are once we put our mind to something. Yeah. And we're both quite binary in some regards. You yeah. Know, I, and alcohol has to be a doing it, not doing it. There was never any in, in between. No. And I'm like it with most things, I suppose. But I think I think this goes back to your life, not your life, but our lives and how you choose to take it forward. I have been very lucky that I was accountable from day one to a blog, to social media, to people that, mm. that were interested. And I attribute my sobriety a lot to that because... If that wasn't there, do you think you'd have had more It's a really a good question. Time? I'm really not sure. I think I would have done the year, definitely, 
because I'd said I was going to do the year. But it definitely in the in the moments that I thought, oh, you know, fuck this for a game of soldiers. I just want to go to the pub in the early days. It probably would have been more likely to have happened. But I know that I never, ever want to reset my clock. I'm very, very rigid that my day one, the 27th of November, will always be the day I became sober. And that was another thing for me. I just don't want to do this again. Mm. You know, Claire Pooley, who wrote The Sober Diaries, wrote it's a fantastic article about the obstacle course. And it's about doing the same repetitive beginning over and over again. And she's always saying, you're doing the hard bit over and over again. What you mean by relapsing? By relapsing and starting at day one again. And, keep, yeah. you know, that's the hard bit. And it is the hard bit because that's where, you know, you feel that everyone, you know, this everyone else is having a great time. Is everyone else having a great time, really? Can you remember half the nights that we had? We had a great time when we were drinking, but we can remember nothing. And I think once I'd got over that, you know, I, still now I won't get invited to things and I'll be like, oh, I hope they're having a nice time. Do I really want to be there? Not particularly, but it would have been nice to have been invited. And then I wake up the next day and I think I wouldn't have gone. Yeah. That night is over now. It's done. Yeah, and all really they're left like... with is a massive hangover. Yeah. And today I'm going to do this, 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 this. And for me, the joy of doing so much on a Saturday far outweighs a few hours that I'm never going to remember on a Friday. Mm. But that takes a while for the seesaw to change. You know, it starts off, you're very jealous of what other people are doing. And then it kind of tips and then you're like, actually, it's about what I'm doing. It's about what makes me happy. It's not about going and sitting in a pub garden mm. for 10 hours, spending all my money, feeling anxious, being sick the next day and not doing all those lovely things that life is all about. Yeah. I don't miss any of that because I feel like it, it was done. It but was I took, done. Took we, a do lifetime. Laugh. We, did, we do say that we did it, it. We just did it all in a very short yeah. space of time. Yeah, it's like this is not your lifetime short. of, of tear-ups. <laughs> right, OK, I'm going to do it all before the age of 37. I, I, I don't miss any of that life anyway. I, do, I feel like I've done it and there's other yeah. things. And coming back to the point about the world opening up, you know, it literally opened up for you. You travelled. But it opens up in lots of different ways as well, because there's lots of things. If you started drinking young, that you might not have done sober. Having sex, for example. I'm not necessarily, you know, we're not going to go there. We're not talking about that We're today. not going to go there, my don't worry. Um, well, my wife's in the other room. <laughs> we won't talk about sober sex, but that's something a lot of people haven't done before. Your whole world opens up. You feel stronger, better able to take on all sorts of different challenges say yes to more things you're willing to be more adventurous and you have to sort out quite a lot of shit that's going on for yourself it's the shit that you have to sort out that is hard yeah with alcohol like yeah. numbing it with alcohol you've got to confront that and that's why i say i think often the work starts i think one thing that might be useful for people watching or listening is in and meant in a very positive way is is giving up alcohol is often the first step because mm -hmm. all it does is strip away what, what else is going on which you then have to tackle it's not necessarily the solution but it gives you the foresight and the clear-headedness to then tackle any other issues that are going on. But for me as that well, can be quite was the, you know, we always laugh that I was, uh, you know, it's well documented that I was the crier. What, how many glasses of wine did you used to say I had before I started crying? Oh. Was it three or five? Something I think like it that. Was the fifth glass. I mean, that, and right, that says something in itself, doesn't yeah. it? That, and then and they'd be like, "Oh God, she's on her fifth glass of wine." Yeah, I think and it was yeah, the, the tears would come, and then that would be it for the rest of the night. That was one thing that really changed for me. Is for the whole of my adult life, I'd thought and been told by other people that I was this over emotional, 
angry. I was really angry, wasn't I? Yeah, Very same. bitter, very argumentative, very dramatic, loved a bit of drama. And I totally and utterly blame alcohol for all of those things because I am not like that at all. And now I avoid drama like the plague. I just cannot bear it. It's just a waste of my time and waste of my energy. I don't cry very often. If I do, it's a valid reason for crying. It's rare. Can't really... I'm just thinking when I last cried. Can't really remember. Whereas before, it'd be like, well, you cried last night for Mm. 10 hours. What did I cry about? Absolutely no idea. So, you know, all of that's kind of changed. The anger's gone because I'm happier in myself. Mm. I attribute a lot of it back down to exercise again. My outlet, instead of picking up a glass of wine, is I'll go out for a walk and I'll strut it out. And I do a lot of chanting, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. Just bloody let it go in my head. You know, it's also working out those other ways to... You know, you've got to find other ways. You are not going to drink a glass of wine anymore. So you have to deal with that shit in another way. And you have to find your way. And magnums have been my way sometimes. Mm. You know, it's feeding the hole. And the problem is, is that there's another phrase which somebody actually sent me. You can't fix an internal hole with something external. You have to do the work yourself. You have to get to a point you know and I always say to my followers as well about self-love and self-care I used to think it was a load of shit but actually it needs to be taught in schools you have to learn that you have to love yourself before you can give it out to anybody else and Um, how have you done that I think the other thing is I think these things have to be conscious to sit I thought these things had to be conscious decisions like right okay you need to love yourself you need to do this to love yourself but it's not that by stopping drinking alcohol is your first step you're being kind to yourself and you're stopping putting something into you that's distorting your view of the world I mean I think the drinking alcohol isn't when you stop drinking alcohol you're stopping harming yourself yeah you're not actually being kind yet You're not, but it's the the first... We're saying the same thing. We're in agreement. And, you know, I was very overweight. My food issues were massively out of control. And now, you know, God, I eat so much fruit and vegetables. I can't believe it myself sometimes. And yet I used to go home and I used to have an empty fridge. Mm. Like when I say empty, there was nothing in my fridge. And then I'd get another takeaway. You know, I don't really take away that much anymore. My food tastes have changed. My food choices have changed. Bedtime, sleep, that's another massive thing to talk about. You know, sleep is so... We were laughing, weren't we? We were like, get this even done with. I've got to drive home. I've got to stay up till half ten. She She didn't really say, let's get this over and done with. (laughs) Not over and done with. But, you know, I've got to get back to pool tonight. And that's late for me getting home at half ten. Whereas, you know, half ten was the time we used to go out. And it's just like, it's just all changed. And I get up really early I wake up at five naturally every day. So even though I go to bed late tonight, I wake up at five naturally every day. I have a lot of stuff to do before I go to work. You know, I blog for an hour. I walk for, I'm doing a challenge at the moment. So I walk for six miles before work and then I come home and have a shower and then I go to work. So I've done quite a lot in the four hours before I sit at my Mm. desk. I've done so much stuff and that would just would have been unheard of before. Mm. I mean, people say about the sleep in the initial days that the sleep is not great. I mean, I was kind of the other way that I kept napping a lot and sleeping a lot and feeling really tired. But you've got to understand you've been abusing yourself for 20 odd years. We had been 20, Mm. 25 years. And you've got to just give yourself a chance. That's another self-love thing. Give yourself a bloody chance because you're not going to fix yourself overnight. 
I think the thing is, you've got to be patient. You know, your journey's seven years, my journey's three years, and we're still learning and we're still doing stuff to improve ourselves. And it's not an overnight fix. You are not going to wake up tomorrow and be skinny and your diet be sorted out and be happy and be unemotional. You know, it's a really, really long working progress. And you've just got to go with it, really. Mm. I'm thinking about people who have given up and they may be having a wobble and it may be because they weren't in a dire place and they think there's a chance they might be able to get a better relationship start afresh with alcohol and just have that one on a Friday and that's why I asked you whether or not you'd had any experience of that because I think sometimes that wobble comes in disguise as it were so some of this conversation this afternoon it might be just a little fleeting thought a bit of euphoric recall about a night out or seeing someone else enjoying themselves and thinking oh it would be nice just to have one or having a non-alcoholic drink that normally would look like an alcoholic drink. So I would never have a Bex Blue. I would never have any kind of drink that would normally be alcoholic that's been, you know, because that to me would be, I kind of likened it to, if you're talking about triggering a domino rally of relapse, the first domino might might just be having that little flash of euphoric recall. The third one might be thinking I was never as bad as that. And it's the fourth domino that goes, the fifth, sixth, seventh. Yeah. It's the ninth domino that's got alcohol in it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So to recognise what those signs of potential relapse are quite early on. And they are those sort of things. But would you add to that? So the euphoric recall and maybe having a non-alcoholic, like a Bex Blue or something, minimising your situation compared to someone else's. What other warning signs would you, or anyone in your blog, what have they shared? That might, if someone's given up, what that might trigger them to drink again. Well, yes, what, yes, exactly that. But so I think a lot of it, a lot of it is emotional. I think the the biggest trigger is emotion of something that someone says to someone or a situation. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. Well, it's the acronym from AA: halt, hunger, anger, loneliness, and tiredness. Yes. Um, Four situations to try and avoid. And I read a lot of people say they're lonely. And, you know, I spend a lot of time on my own. And it's one thing that I'm just not lonely. But that's because I'm so busy. And I say to people, you've got to be busy. It's the minute that you drop the baton. You know, I say to them, don't drop the baton. Because the minute you sit there and go, oh, I'm a little bit bored. Might watch something on telly. But do you not think there's something to be said, though, for also... Because otherwise, you're not just chasing something else, the constant adrenaline of being busy and the cortisol of being busy. Is that not slightly cross-addicting into just a busyness? Do you not think there's something to be said for also being comfortable just sat there doing nothing, even if it's not But I think long? that takes time to be comfortable it doing nothing. Do. I think the whole point is time. And I think everybody needs to just Certainly give Certainly, initially, time. I agree. You have to have... You don't want to avoid. You don't to want start to avoid. I agree with you. If we're talking about early days... And I years, also say... The one thing that I really, really think is a massive trigger is trying to live the same life that you lived without alcohol as you did with alcohol. And I see people do it all the time. You know, I'm going to go to the pub, but I'm going to sit with a Bex Blue. What is the bloody point in that? They call it dry dry drunk. You're going through the motions you were going through before, but you're just not drinking alcohol. My analogy is if you were on a diet, would you go and sit in a bakery watching everybody else eating cream cakes? Hmm. would you do that you wouldn't you'd go i need to go to a salad bar you know i need to go somewhere way or away just not from, go out for or a just bit. not go out for a bit and i think this takes me back to my part i think i started saying you know we were the party animals that's what we did we spent all weekend drinking and when i stopped drinking i tried to keep going to the pub with my friends and drinking non-alcoholic drinks 
I can't even remember what I drank in the beginning. I, I wasn't really that... Ca- I tried all the wines. I did not really get on with them. I quite like a, an alcohol-free beer every now and again, but it's the sparkling water for us, isn't it? Mm. Every time. And it's funny because do you remember we went out... Was it your 40th? And you were drinking sparkling water and I was drinking wine. And I remember thinking... My brain went... Oh God. It might have been my 40th, yeah. Well, we went to that restaurant yeah. with George and Dom. She was drinking sparkling water. And I remember uh, thinking, oh my God, is that what life's about? She's just drinking sparkling water. And Mm. now we are, we just had dinner just now. And I'm like, I want my own bottle. (laughs) I don't want to share with you. (laughs) But um, yeah, I just think there's no point in the beginning doing the same things that you were doing before and expecting a different result. No, you have to change stuff. And that's why I, I... Huge respect for AA as an institution, and, and it's got a lot of people and keeps a lot of keep, uh, people alive and clean and sober. But the one thing they do say is don't change too much. And actually, I, I think sometimes you have to make some wholesale changes. I sold my house and moved back to Mount Flaxman with all this riddled with associations of, of caning and drinking. Change job, change lots of stuff, actually. And sometimes you need to make those changes don't want to be so stressful that you then find yourself unable to manage that stress yeah. and maybe going back to your old crutches. But sometimes you do need to make big changes, and obviously the people around you as well. Yeah. I mean, people... did you change your social group much? At least um, a, a short term or, or long term? My friends and I have all really tried to maintain the same relationship, but it is, with some friends, it is more difficult because mm. sometimes alcohol is the only bond that's keeping you together, it is mm. the only glue. So have you moved, have you moved away from those friendships? Um, I mean, naturally, from what I've been doing, I have moved away from people. It's not been a conscious decision, but it's just naturally yeah, evolved that way. And also because my friendship groups within sober community are so strong now, you know, I've got so many new friends through my blog and through my membership site and through Club Soda and other places like that, that it's a busy old world for me. You know, I've got a lot of people that I'm in touch with so I say for me I choose which events that I go to I'll do anything in daylight hours yeah same but the minute it gets dark I get twitchy I'm not fussed about being out yeah I don't mind being around people drinking but the minute one person slurs at me I'm out of there I'm just not interested you know I love a barbecue and everybody can drink at a barbecue and I'm totally fine with that but it it really is the darkness I don't know why it's so weird Mm. because before it'd be dark I have to go out I'm now but it could be age as well you know not everybody you know we're mid-40s now and people do change in mid-40s you become a bit more you know you're not going clubbing as such and all the rest of it although one of my Followers did go raving last night, bless her, sober. A sober rave. Sober. How many people do, do that? It was, a dr- it was a drinking rave, but she went sober, right. which we're so proud of. Not something that interests me, but yeah, I'm just a bit more picky about what I'll do. Yeah. And probably the difference, it was quite fine with crowds and busy places before. I just can't bear it now. I just want a chair. Mm. Bit of Sat on a chair. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's no need to change that book title. <sighs> so I know we may have questions, in which case Antonio will bring the iPad through. So if you are watching and you've got any questions, then send them on Dawn's page. Actually, yep. either page. Either I page. Think, and we'll get them answered. So we'll leave a bit of time for that. I wanted to talk, though, a bit about, you know, we, we've, we've put this talk together, which we may deliver soon, called The Rise of the Sober Curious. Mindful drinking. Now, I think a lot of people now are changing their relationship to alcohol 
And whilst we've been talking about the very binary side of it, you know, total abstention, there is middle ground for more mindful drinking. Some yeah. people are going to be able to do that. And Tony, my wife next door, can drink very mindfully. And other people won't be able to do that. I know you think that there's this kind of not much grey area, but just you, you've got a good experience of this. If someone's watching and they, they maybe just want to take the first step of drinking more mindfully, where are places that, that promote that as a mindful drinking festival, for example? Yeah. So there's Club Soda, it's joinclubsoda.co.uk, have been amazing for me, oh, amazing support. What do they do? So they are a mindful drinking movement. Okay. And in the three years that I've been sober, they have grown. I mean, it's just, it is absolutely massive now how big they are. But there's private groups on there. There is a mindful drinking group so on you, there that you, you can go to or alcohol free or a general group. Right. So you don't have to be sober. Group. No, you can so just go and enjoy the, one. The main or two. page you can be still drinking, <clears throat> mindfully drinking, or alcohol free. And then from there, so if you look at that as the umbrella, and then underneath there's different other different groups that you can go to. So if you want to be alcohol free and you don't want to read about people drinking on a Saturday night, you can go to the alcohol free group. So they've just been absolutely amazing support and they put on festivals. I think they just had their sixth festival, which I think I've been to all of them. One was in Glasgow, the rest have been in London, the next one is in January, and that's great, and that's amazing how it's changed, because the first one was relatively small, they have all the different drinks there, so they do have the alcohol-free options, but they also have lots of different soft drinks, and yeah, it's just a real promotion for the sober and mindful drinking movement, so they've just done an amazing job. So, yeah, if you're thinking about doing like a dry January, there will be a festival in London in January. Highly recommend going to it. And it's free. And there's all sorts of online. Oh, the, the Instagram community is just fantastic. I know you don't use it too much. And when I first started using Instagram, I did not have a clue what was going on. But if you just put sober in the search bar, you've got so many sober people. It is just crazy. Mm. And of on- different generations. What different, you've seen. different everything, different backgrounds, different different scenarios, different you know all over the world. And there's one guy, Dave, sober Dave. He's doing a meetup on the seventh of September. If anyone's in London and fancies it, I'm going. And we had a brief conversation on Friday night, and he was just like, "The sober community is amazing." And I said, "You know, this has been the one amazing thing about my blog is it's very very rarely negative. The sober community is very very." strong in admiring other people's successes and supporting other people's failures not everybody is living the same life and going on the same journey and you know like my group it's just amazing if someone says that last night they had a blip everybody else is just like right okay it's all right don't worry about it you know whereas in the real world, it's almost like, you know, some people would be like, oh, God, well, there you go. You know, mm. you've done it again kind of thing. But there's absolutely no point in saying that because not everybody's journey, as I've just said, is going to be the same. And it's so supportive and you really feel like everybody's got your back. So, yeah, highly recommend Instagram. Mm-hmm. Do the search. I'm on Twitter. I don't really understand Twitter anymore. I never did in the first place. But Twitter's another one. Again, put sober in. Most people who have been doing this for a while have got sober in their titles, so you can find them quite easily. Mm. One year no beer. That's something one of my friends is doing. Yeah, I don't know too much about one year no beer. And there's all the quick lit. So Claire Pooley, The Sober Diaries, absolutely yeah. fantastic book. Catherine Gray, 
the unexpected joy of being sober. So those two are the leading books. And The Sober Diaries is written by Claire, who's got three kids. So it's from a mummy point of view, but I still loved it. Mm. The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, she mentions places that we used to go and drink. So it's based in London. Right. So that was more relatable to me as a single binge drinker. Very similar stories. And she's amazing too. And then you've got Dry by Augustine Burroughs. It's a great book. And Mrs. D Going Without. She's in New Zealand. Fantastic book. And I think Quitlet is also a massive tool in your toolbox. Mm. I always say you have to flood your mind with sobriety. If you flood your mind with alcohol, i.e. you're drinking all the time, that will be your life. And if you flood your mind with sobriety, that will be your life. And again, my little sober raver, she didn't read a lot of books and she's just read both of those books. And she's like, oh, my God, they've just absolutely changed the way that I think. Mm. And it's finding that thing. Oh, and also I've got to say about Alcohol Explained by William Porter. Yes. Really great guy. And the book is totally not my type of book. He knows that. I've told him that. But I listened to it on Audible and it's very sciencey, but it is fascinating about the effects that alcohol has on your diet, on your sleep, on just every part of your body, why you feel the way that you do, why you feel the way the next day, its effects on anxiety. All those questions, but written, in my opinion, in a really, really easy to understand way. So yeah, and that's Alcohol Explained, William Porter. But there's loads of books out there, again... It's all part of changing your environment, isn't it? So as drinkers, we we create an environment of alcohol in the house, a local down the road, drinkers as friends, drinkers as colleagues. You create an environment which normalises, but also is conducive to drinking. Don't have time to to read the book about it. No. Can't see the book. No need. (laughs) Well, and, And when you're giving up or you've given up, you need to create an environment that supports that. So no alcohol in the house, obviously not you know, associating a pub with food, surrounding yourself with people that are not necessarily sober. Now, you know, not many of our friends are sober, but equally they're not very heavy drinkers now. I mean, as it goes, our closest friends have just had kids and moved away from that. Yeah. And many of those that were real caners and real booze hounds, we've just distanced ourselves from naturally. But it's also important, I think, to, to surround, to make sure the environment is conducive to sobriety. Yes. Well, there's quite a good point that you make there because another thing that people really struggle with are the people around them. You know, I'm very lucky. I feel very lucky that I live on my own because I think I'd find it really hard to live with somebody who was continually drinking at the rate that I did. Mm. And it's one of the biggest questions that I'm asked and it's one of the questions that I can't really answer because it's not a scenario that I'm involved in. But I do believe that if people love you, generally these people who are encouraging you to drink again are people that had a problem with you drinking in the first place and it just really blows my mind you know there will be partners saying oh you know you drank too much last night you made a right twat out of yourself you did this you did this you did this so they they try and give up and then they're like well, aren't you going to have a drink of wine tonight? It's Mm. like, what? You know, you can't have the best of both worlds. Either you need to encourage that person to stop drinking or you put up with them in their drunken state. People have their own ulterior motives, but I think it's very simple, really. People will select themselves in or out. Yeah. And that whole no shit's given, no drama that we've been talking about a lot this weekend, you know, if you don't like what I'm doing, then we are going to gradually, either quickly or over time, go in opposite directions. But I think you also need to have that. I think it's very important to have that conversation I always say about accountability, you need to have that conversation with the people close to you. I know my friend Emma did a video earlier today about this and she said, you've got to say to those people, 
I need to be sober. I need to be sober for my kids. I need to be sober to go to work every day. I need to be sober to be happy. I am not happy. The kids aren't happy. My job's not happy with me. You know, whatever the reason is that's bothering you about drinking, you've got to say that you don't want your life to be like that anymore. And I know it's very easy to say it because I know there's people out there who really struggle with partners and family. Mm. Who I think it's complicated. It is really complicated. Sometimes people need time just to... To re- the relationship is being redefined if you're a heavy drinker in Absolutely. quite a big way. And sometimes All the, the things partner, you did together. It can take a little bit of, of time yeah. to... So actually, while um, Antonio brings the questions in, Lou Ellis asked a question about how you felt, if I have, I've got this right, about me giving up. So let's start with that. Which I've been we'll thinking about because I read questions. the question and then I was like, oh God, I can't really remember. I mean, your drinking was obviously a problem. But, you know, I remember hearing that you were going to rehab and thinking that's the best thing for you. This best thing that could happen. Because you were but quite I... good, actually. Do you remember this? You used to text in the day and say, what are you doing today then? Did I? Yeah. I only remembered this recently. Did you? Yeah. Well, um, when you were in rehab? No, before I went. Oh, no, I in no, between. See, I was saying to George earlier that I couldn't really remember too much about it. And I stopped speaking to you after you phoned me at work. And we had a conversation, well, you had a conversation. I couldn't understand a word of it. It was like 11 o'clock in the morning and I didn't understand a word of it. And I was literally, and people were coming in going, you need to go back to your desk. I don't remember this at all. Well, I'm not surprised. (laughs) And I was just literally, and I was livid because I was in work, but I was also really terribly worried because you, you literally weren't making any sense at all. And I think after that, you kind of went, you went off. I kind of went the other way. Yeah, I think we kind of broke away a little bit. Then you mm. went into rehab, which was around George's wedding, wasn't it? About six weeks before, yeah. And then when you... I just remember you came out and you went to George's wedding, mm. which is a massive thing for you to do. Like, now I've got so much respect for Well, I was supposed to that. be doing a speech, but halfway through rehab, I wrote and said, would you mind if I just came? Because I think the pressure of writing and delivering a speech was yeah. probably... And delivering a speech that was really worthy of being asked to do a speech as well. And I, yeah. have, I have good form with speeches, if you recall. You do have good form. <laughs> I had big shoes, my own big shoes to fill. So I just thought, actually, this is going to be easier if But as we're talking I about, I do, remember say, I do remember you saying that you weren't staying very late. And I do remember saying to you, oh, come on, it's a wedding, because I was absolutely hammered. Oh, come on, you've got to stay. But now, with hindsight, I look at you and think, A, amazing that you came. B, amazing you stayed for so long. We stayed till quite late. You did stay till quite late, but it still wasn't good enough for me because I was a pusher. Oh, come on. Yeah, I mean, it must have been awful because we were in terrible states. I mean, we were all over the place. And then I remember that 40th when we went for that lunch and just thinking, oh, God, it's not, you know, it's a very staid kind of life. And that you were very rigid about stuff, which now I'm really rigid. Mm. I mean, I, we spoke a few weeks ago, didn't we? And I said, I totally get you. Mm. Whereas at the beginning, I was like, I just didn't get it at all. I didn't understand the rigid timescales of things. You but... do have to be more disciplined, especially in the early days. Yeah. You, don't, you get a little bit more serious for a while and well, then no, you relax we're, we're back into yourself. We've got so much to fit in. You know, like coming well, up I'm just here, very it's clear like on what to... I'm doing and what I'm not yeah. doing. I'm, I always was to a degree, but I'm just, I'm not going there and I'm not doing that. You're in full control of yourself, though. That's yeah. the thing. And, and your, your thinking isn't influenced or where you go or how, where you spend your time is influenced by, oh, I could have another drink there or so-and-so, you know, you just are much more rigid. But you didn't, things. I was talking, I think I said to you yesterday, I haven't managed to persuade any of my circle of friends to become sober. I've got an influence over 
lots of people that I don't know, but not much influence. And you were the same. Like, I don't think any of us were like, you're sober and you've been through rehab and we're going to be, you know, we're going to, we're not going to drink around. I mean, I think we did say, do you mind if we drink wine? People are more respectful. Even now I'll get asked, I had a reunion with two old, well, Anne Bryant, whom you know, and another old friend who's out in Australia, Lucinda. She was over in London and I think they were planning not to drink anything. And I said, oh, no, no, if you both want to have a drink, do. And they had two, which they made last three, three and a half hours. Sometimes when I first came out of rehab, I asked people not to if I was meeting them for lunch, for example. I said, would yeah. you mind if it was a sober lunch? But you can't change other people's behaviour and they won't like it either. So that's when you get selective about what you go to or you go to something. And the minute as you say someone slurs, you're like, swerve, I'm off. Yeah. Or you go and you have the same quality of evening, but it finishes at half eight, quarter to nine. Yeah. But there's also a lot of places I won't go and a lot of stuff I won't do and, and don't want to get involved in anymore. Yeah. And that's what I mean about changing. But I um, think as well, it's anything that makes you, Emma said this today in her video as well, anything that makes you feel a bit nervous about going or a bit uncomfortable. You know, I now look back, I say I'm a party animal, but I don't know if my real personality is a party animal. Mm-hmm. I think I was perceived to be a party animal and lived up to being a party animal Mm. and took that to absolute extremes. But whether I actually am or was is another question because I don't feel like that is or was my true identity. Whilst I think I am a sociable person on my own terms and, you know, for example, going out was quite traumatic. I always didn't feel like I was wearing the right thing. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I felt nervous about going and meeting people. So I'd have a couple of drinks to take the edge off. You know, if, if you're taking a couple of drinks to take the edge off going somewhere, what's the point in going in the first the place? The edge off what? But I, I agree. The I edge mean, off all those the nerves, things. off the social anxiety, off the... Oh, no, no, I know. I, you I, know, I was... all of that. And it's just kind of like, what was I doing? You know, why did I yeah. even bother going in the first place? Because it made me feel uncomfortable. Whereas yeah. <clears> when you say, you know, we met for breakfast yesterday, I didn't need anything to take the edge off. It's like, oh, yeah, get me to the bacon. You know, <laughs> it's... Oh, I don't really I want, want to go, to do but I can have a couple of coffees and it'll go Exactly, you know, and you've yeah. got to start questioning you do the, you why do you're doing you that. Do. And, and you become less lazy as well, because you don't think, oh, I can have a couple of drinks to jazz me up. Time will pass quickly. You just don't go. <laughs> Nothing you jazzes right, up, just go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I agree with that, actually. And Antonio has said that before, you know, the reputation is the party animal. But was I really, maybe for a while, but actually, I like a night in, a rug... <laughs> There's a cat and a dog desperate to get in in the other room <laughs> and in bed sort of half nine, ten. And that's really and a radio four and gardening. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong yeah, that's about getting that. Old. That's nothing to do with sobriety. Oh, I don't, know, don't scare the shit out of people, Leanne. <laughs> no, that's not sobriety. But you know, my point is maybe that's what we're really like. But you just yeah. get you kind of live this. Well, as... and just to touch on that briefly as well, I said to you about I wrote an article for Alcohol Change about creativity because my mum was constantly saying to me, if you just stopped drinking, got a hobby, yeah, of course, that just makes you drink more because you're like, shut up, mother. But I didn't have any hobbies. I didn't have any interests. I wasn't interested in anything but getting off my face. And since I've become sober, you say about your world opening up, my world has just opened up. Actually, Mm. I am quite a creative person. Actually, I do have ideas. Actually, my writing has just been you know, really well received by people. And, you know, I've written articles for big companies and, you know, all of that stuff was just drowned out and buried by drinking too much. I mentioned I make greetings cards. Yeah, I bloody make greetings cards. Well, with someone else who designs them. 
But, you know, I look at these cards, I've got them in my flat and I'm just like, oh, my God, that's my idea. Mm. And it's, it's it makes you really proud because you're like that came from putting down a glass of poison. All this other stuff came out and I've got it and I can see it and it exists and it's a good idea. And I think that's what you see a lot is people their creativity comes out. You know, I've heard of people doing comedy. I've heard of people writing books. You know, mm. those two books or all of those books I mentioned are sober people who wrote down their story. I've tried, but I've, my book's kind of gone. Oh, you've written a book. Two. You know, two books. You wouldn't have done that before. You know, it's just you've got your own business. You know, my business is is really starting to flourish. It's, it's plowing your energies into something else. When you've got the creativity mm. and you've got the... I can't think what the word is that I'm the productivity, you know, mm. I just feel for the hours that I'm awake, I'm like at yeah. it. And before my day was spending an hour and a half sneezing, 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 sneezing. I don't want to get up. I don't want to get up. I don't want to. I'm up. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to go to work. Eat shit at lunchtime. Just want to get home. Just want to get home. Sit in front of the TV, mm. watch mind numbing crap on TV. You know, I don't really watch TV anymore. I find most of it. You hated TV. I never understood that. How could she not watch Love Island? That's really weird. Now, oh. I absolutely hate Love Island. <laughs> Let's, let's not go down the Love let's Island. Let's not go down Love Island. But it's it's all of those things that I believed I was just not worthy of doing stuff like that. And actually, there it all was, mm. being just drowned out, day in, day out, bubbling yeah. around. So, yeah, you know, again, give yourself a chance. I believe everybody's got something inside them that is being drowned out by this yeah. stuff. Well, Let I it think out. When, you, when you stop drinking as well, you need to reconcile whatever source of pain was causing you to drink in the first place because it is it's it's a response to pain it's a response to trauma whether it was never feeling good enough or something worse than that or a difficult upbringing whatever it is it's pain that you're medicating against and when you give up the alcohol you either have to address the pain or you address the pain which facilitates giving up alcohol but whatever scale and that's that's what needs to happen and then exactly your world opens up and you've got the energy to do this stuff for me actually the biggest thing one of the biggest things is no more internal monologue, no more waking up and immediately negotiating with, I mean, I've even put half a bottle of red, put the cork back in, put it in the bin on my way out to work and fished it back out later on that evening. But no more internal monologue about I'm not going to drink today yeah. and then you have one at lunch. Okay, I'm only going to have one, you have two. I'm going to get home and I'm not going to buy two oh, bottles of wine. It's I'm exhausting buy one. just listening to it, isn't it? It's exhausting, negotiating all day. With, with yourself. With yourself about what you are or you aren't going to do and then bl- you know, just blithely you see, I do still internally anyway. do that, but like with walking and the weather. Well, we all, ne- you know, all negotiate. Yeah, but it's just, but it's, it's just it's shifted. It's not all-encompassing. Yeah, you know, and I think that is the other thing, is the internal voice. You've got to find what shuts your internal voice up because I've mentioned this the other day on my blog as well. We've all got brains. We're all intelligent people. And we do our own heads in with the thought process. And a lot of people in grey area drinking drink to shut the voice up. Mm. You have to learn to shut that voice up in your own way, whether it's doing meditation. You know, again, another thing that I didn't really understand. I don't do meditation apps as such, but my walking in the morning switches me off and takes me somewhere else. You know, whilst I'm doing that, I'm not thinking about the blog or thinking about answering questions or thinking about work or I'm literally listening to music or listening to a book and like bouncing around the town Mm. and that's my meditation time and I also I'm doing one in a couple of weeks gong baths I've mentioned those before that's another type of meditation that's amazing that takes you 
way out of your head. It's finding other ways that take you to a place that your brain, I think they call it monkey brain, don't they? Yeah, monkey the monkey chatter brain chatter, yeah, it's a yeah. Buddhist thing. You know, you've got to learn how to shut that voice up. And, you know, and like you're saying, the voice that keeps telling you it's a bloody good idea to have one. You've got to learn the tool that you know that one isn't good. And, you know, if you're questioning whether to have one or not, it's not worth having it. But you've got to learn your own way. One of the other things that's really good is journaling, whether you write on your notes in your phone, just how you feel. I know one of my followers at the moment on Instagram is putting her notes that she wrote last year. And they're really interesting, you know, her feelings, what she was feeling at the time, and then reading them a year later. And you change so much. It's, uh, you know, it's like me reading my, not that I do it very often, but when you read a blog that you've written and you're like, oh my God, I've changed so much from there, but that's really useful to remember that that's how I was feeling because we forget very easily what we want to forget. Mm. And, you know, we forget the hangovers and we forget how awful we felt. We forget that person that we upset and that we fell out with for six months. And we forget all of those things so easily until the next time when it happens again, you go, oh shit, I've done it again. And that's the start of the mental torture of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Mm. Mm. Is that Einstein said that? Yes. Intelligent person. Yes. The, the definition of insanity is doing the same, doing the same thing over, thing and, over, over and over again. Themselves. There's a brilliant book before we come on to your social media links and website and so on, and then we'll wrap up, that I've read recently by Johan Hari. Have you read it? It's called Lost Connections. I haven't, but I've recently posted a few memes. Right. So have a read of that. It's brilliant. It focuses a lot on the causes of anxiety and depression, but also addiction. A quote of his is the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. Connection. It's connection. Yeah. yeah. Connecting back to nature, to each other, to yourself, to the things that you used to love, all of that. And I think let's leave it on that because I think that's a really great kind of it encompasses exactly what we've just been talking about, really. How you reconnected with all things that are important to you and more importantly to yourself. And, And same for me when I went through you know, rehab and so on seven years ago. So it's been a brilliant conversation. Thank you. Yeah, it has been. Um, Thank it's, you. it's flow. We've gone way over, I think. Have but, we? Uh, the, yeah. Am I going to be late home? You're going to be a bit late. You're going to be all right. You might need to hunk, <laughs> hunker down. Awake long enough. Hunker down with a cat and the dog. Might have to stop at the services you. for a small kit. <laughs> so Soberfish is your brand. Give yes. us a quick pitch on, on what the brand's all about. So I've got the Soberfish story is my Facebook page, which is where it all began. And I've got www.soberfish.co.uk, which is where all my blogs are. Haven't written for quite a long time, but all my blogs from, don't think I did day one, but begin, you know, first week I think is on there, mm-hmm. around Christmas anyway, when I started. And I'm on Instagram at Soberfishy. Twitter, I think is at Soberfishy. I've got my greetings cards, which are on Etsy, which is the Soberfish store. Mm-hmm. I've got a shop on Amazon, which is the Soberfish store. So there's lots of places that you can go and find me. And but also, could, more importantly, your community. And my community. So I've recently set up a membership club, which is it's a private membership group. We're about 160-something at the moment, which is just amazing. We've only been running for two months. But the community, I mean, it's just turned into something that I could never have expected because it's a very small group, great people, really good support network. If you're just starting out, there's people that have just started out. There's people that have been sober for many, many years. So there's lots of experience there. There's lots of different angles. Emma this afternoon did a video which she thought was quite harsh. I thought it was quite tame, really, but it was brilliant. You know, just different ways that people have remained sober 
using their different tips mm-hmm. and, you know, saying about the quitlet and, you know, just the, the ways that do, different people do different things. Some people count days, some people choose not to count days. So, yeah, the community is really great and anybody is welcome. Yeah, so I think that just cool. covers. Yeah. Onwards with the, the Soberfish community. Soberfish is yeah. taking over the world. Great. For those of you listening, thanks very much. Thank Facebook you. Live audience, thank you very much for your time. Thank, thank you, Fish. You. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals. Sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.